University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Now, I like to eat the local cuisine no matter where I'm traveling. So when we moved here, I said I need to try some true Cajun food. So I've had, I learned that it's not boudin, even though it's spelled boudin, it's boudin. And I've also learned there's other words, like I've been saying pecan my whole life, but it's pecan here. I've had shrimp etouffee, gumbo, and crawfish. I still can't do nutra or whatever, nutria, nutria, I just... I, I can't do it. It's just not going to happen. But there's one thing that I never had before I came here, and it's turduncan, which is, if you're not familiar, the combination of chicken stuffed into a duck stuffed into a turkey. It's pure genius. And actually, it was started here in Louisiana, um, down in Maurice, uh, at Herbert Specialty Meats. Now, let me tell you that uh, if you're looking for stuffed meats, Sir Duncan is, is the way you want to go. Now, I did get an invitation from Acadian Baptist Center. I think we've got an image of it here. I don't know if it shows up on the screen, but they were inviting me to this fundraising dinner um, in which rattlesnake, deer, nutria, and wild hog were on the menu. I would have gone if Sir Duncan was on the menu, but it wasn't, so I chose not to go. We've been starting this series by talking about filled things. And we've been looking at that Christ desires to fill our lives with goodness. We've been looking at this passage from Paul in which he invites us to look at how Christ is calling us to be filled with kindness and goodness and grace and forbearance. Each week we've been looking at that we ourselves are, it's like our lives we're carrying around a bucket. And we have the opportunity not only to fill our lives, but to fill the lives of others with the goodness of Christ. We have actually given you these small little buckets to carry around, and hopefully each day you've been carrying them around as a reminder and challenge to you. So let's go to our theme text in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, and humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another of any grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want you to stop and imagine sometimes, what do you think it was like for some of these New Testament uh, recipients to receive these letters for the first time? What, what powerful emotions, but sometimes what awkward moments they had listening to some of these scriptures. So like take for example the 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 church in Galatians when the letter is being read out loud to them for the first time in which Paul so fiery says that the agitators in the church should go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Awkward. Or what about when the first hearers of the Gospel of Mark heard that Jesus said that we can handle snakes and be bitten by them or drink poison and not be affected by it. You know there was one guy in the crowd that's like, let's try this out right now. So imagine to the church in Colossians when Paul gives them this long spiel of compassion and kindness and gentleness, and then he says it all should be wrapped up in perfect unity. 
I believe there was a collective eye roll. Perfect unity? You see, perfect unity in a church seems like something that's unimaginable. Before we get to the modern-day issues of the church, let's not forget that we would not have two-thirds of the New Testament if there wasn't this thing called conflict in the church. The literary basis of most of the New Testament letters were managing conflict among the various churches. Church which has stood the test of time for nearly 2,000 years, no matter the context, has had conflict. And it's not necessarily over deep theological and ethical issues. I personally witnessed a 40-year-old member of one of my former churches leave the church because his motion in a business meeting was voted down because he wanted us to have aluminum roofing on the dome of the sanctuary instead of copper doming. Because, you know, that affects our very salvation of our soul, whatever material is on the roof of the church. You see, the church is made of humans. Therefore, conflict is inevitable. It is absolutely going to happen. So what in the world does Paul mean when he says that love binds us all together in perfect unity? Does that mean sameness? Does that mean uniformity? Does that mean blind loyalty or indoctrination or autocratic rule? Seriously, what is perfect unity? unity, and where does that begin? For this, I want to take a look at a story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 12. And what we're seeing here is what would become the formation of the early church. Luke writes, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who would become a traitor. Before we get to the heart of this text, we cannot ignore the fact that Jesus is praying. The Son of God himself needed to draw himself away to recenter and to pray. If Jesus needed this, what do you think that means for our lives? And why did Jesus pull himself away? Well, he was making a significant decision. He was naming those of his followers who he would designate apostles. Apostles is an interesting word. It means kind of the same thing as disciples, except it means one who is sent, a messenger, an envoy, an emissary. And Luke doesn't focus mainly on the 12 because quickly in just chapter 10, he calls out 72 apostles to go and do his work. But what makes this passage significant is that we need to begin to understand that Jesus is calling individuals to follow him. These disciples were not exactly the sharpest or the smartest. One was a coward, another was a traitor, one was a doubter, another was an enemy of the people. Some were simple fishermen and others were teenagers. They got it wrong a lot. But one thing can be said about what Luke is telling us in this text is that these people were unique. They had different backgrounds and occupations and perspectives of life. Simon, also known as Peter, was infamous for putting his foot in his mouth 
and acting without thinking. He was a simple fisherman well along in his years. Andrew, Peter's brother, was also a simple fisherman. He was actually one of the first to be called by Jesus along with John, but he's often overshadowed by his outspoken brother. James and John are an interesting pair of brothers uh, because these two were probably part of a business group with uh, Peter and Andrew, but they were a little bit more wealthier. These two were persistent on being first among those in Jesus' disciples. Philip is somewhat of an outsider of the group uh, to the disciples because he was a Hellenistic Jew, meaning he was someone who was Jewish, but he was oriented to the Greek culture. He was very much an outsider to the group. Bartholomew started off his relationship with Jesus the right way because when he was introduced to Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth, his response was, Nazareth? Has anything good come from Nazareth? Matthew, you should know him better as Levi. He was a tax collector. Imagine him among this group of Jews. Here is enemy number one, and Jesus has called him to follow him in the same group. There was Thomas, of course, his name is synonymous with doubt. This is the guy who had followed Jesus for three years and left everything, yet in Jesus' death and resurrection, he had the hardest time believing it to be true. James, son of Alphaeus, is believed to be a teenager of the group when he was called by Jesus. Simon the Zealot was a a political activist. Um, This guy seems like the actual candidate who would betray Jesus above anybody else, especially when Jesus started to spout off teachings like, oh, you should love your enemy and you should turn the other cheek. Here is a man who is part of a political group who was trying to, by violence, purge out Rome from Israel. There was Judas, son of James. The actual translation for his name is uh, Labius, which means, um, it means mama's boy, essentially. <laughs> and so we get this idea that James was, was oftentimes the quieter of the group. He, he's, his name is often sometimes overlooked because we remember the last person in the group who would become the one who betrayed Jesus. But an interesting fact about Judas, of all the disciples, he is the only one that's called a friend of Jesus in the Gospels. So what we learn is that each of these disciples had different backgrounds and occupations and perspectives of life. Each of us in this space, we have a story. Our story makes up who we are. Some are from Louisiana, others from Alabama and Mississippi and Virginia and Texas and North Carolina, New Orleans and Monroe and Ruston and Lake Charles and beyond. Maybe you grew up in a house with two parents or a single parent with brother or sisters or maybe you were an only child. We have teachers and lawyers and accountants and architects and nurses and computer analysts and engineers and bankers and academics and government officials and students. As I look out in this crowd, I know stories of triumph and stories of failure, moments of joy and moments of sorrow. Your story tells who you are. A story of someone who's witty or strong or loyal or goal-oriented or thoughtful or artistic or musical or poetic or analytical. I look out from where I stand and I see such an, an array of people in this space. We all have something that makes us unique a unique story and journey and giftedness and strengths and assets and resources and experience and passions and insights, do you see your own uniqueness? Do you embrace your uniqueness? 
when I was a child, I was not a big fan of reading. I would much rather be outside in the woods playing and imagining myself as Robin Hood in Sherwood Forest or uh, as Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom or the Goonies trying to find hidden pirate treasure. But there was one thing my parents actually could get me to sit down and read, comic books. As a child who hated to read, I immersed myself in the stories of Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne and Oliver Queen and Steve Rogers. You probably know them better as Spider-Man, Batman, Green Arrow, and Captain America. There was one of my favorite comic book series is called the X-Men. The X-Men were a team of superheroes that were mutants. They were mutations of humans. And while some of their mutations changed their outer appearances like the Beast or Nightcrawler, they all had this superhuman powers. But these mutants were not accepted by the world around them. Humans feared and they hated them. In fact, while the X-Men are fighting to save them, humans were trying to find ways to remove the mutants from their communities. They actually were trying to create inoculations to remove their powers from them. Mutants were not allowed to be around, quote, normal people. Comic books were the first glance in my life into how people can be marginalized and discriminated against because of who they are. You see, this is where I believe that unity in the church begins to break down. When our inability to embrace the uniqueness of others. You see, most people, when they want unity, they're willing to embrace others who are just like them. And for many, we we say we want unity as long as that means uniformity to what we believe and our plans and what we think and how things should be. So when conflicts arise, when, when control breaks down to the divergence of theological and philosophical and political and ideological views, things get a little dicey when people have different journeys or familial systems or ethnicities or sexualities or gender or physical appearance that come across to us in decision-making times. But what I see Jesus doing in this great call of the disciples is bringing together the uniqueness to form individuals into a faith community. What we see is Jesus embracing the unique diversity of this group. Jesus is calling them to embrace the unique diversity of their faith community. What we see is Jesus living out the words that Paul would later write. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, when I look at this faith community, I see a thousand reasons for us not to be unified. Because of all the differences we have within and through each other. But the beauty and transcendence of Jesus' invitation is that we are called to embrace the uniqueness of all people under God, through and in all things. Perfect unity is grounded in embracing the unique diversity of our faith community. I realize that I often use Star Wars illustrations, so let's go back to X-Men for just a second. You're going to learn the story by the time we're done. Here's a group of mutants whose powers are exactly what the world needs, yet the world ridicules and fears and discriminates against them. They all come together in this perfect symmetry of, of powers, whether it be Storm's ability to control the weather, of course, hence the name, Jean Grey's telekinesis, Rogue's uh, absorption of other superpowers, uh, Cyclops' ability to shoot 
just raised from his eyes, which sounds really cool when you think about it. But there is one particular group among them that, that is hesitant to trust the group. His, his name is Logan. You probably know him as Wolverine, my favorite of the X-Men. You see, what he can't do is he can't trust others. In fact, in battles, it's a time of frustration because he always wants to do his own thing, not working together with a team. He always seems to be the one who wants to take the credit. And there's wonderful text from one of the comic books in which Professor Xavier invites him by saying this, you know, Logan, this is what life looks like. A home with people who love each other. A safe space. You should take a moment and feel it. You should have a chance to become part of something much bigger than yourself. You see, this too is the challenge of perfect unity within a faith community. It's easy to keep our best selves for ourselves out of fear and mistrust and control and busyness and other priorities. Not only must we embrace the unique diversity of all people within our faith community, but each of us has to bring our best selves to the faith community. And as we survey the disciples, we begin to see that these unique individuals brought their best selves to Christ for the purpose of growing God's kingdom. We know the story of Simon who would be this bumbling fool, yet God would raise him up as this leader to lead thousands of people to follow Jesus. Andrew, although his brother overshadowed him, he is one who would take the gospel in so many different directions. It is Andrew who brought people to Christ. He didn't have to be the most eloquent eloquent speaker. John and his brother James, who were the ones that asked Jesus to call down fire on the Samaritans because of their evil, would then go on to write these beautiful words. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Philip Philip broke through in a way that the disciples hadn't explored You see, it's Philip before Peter and James and John would lead the first African to follow Christ. It is Bartholomew who would take the good news to Persia. Thomas would succeed his doubt by taking the gospel to India. Matthew, uh, although he seemed like the most unlikely of person, he chose to give up his pride and all of his money to follow Christ. Simon the zealot who left a life of terrorism and violence would take the gospel to the British Isles. You see, these 12 were bonded together for the sake of transforming the world for Christ. This was not an individual undertaking, but one of a strong faith community through their collective sharing of their best self to do God's work and to move forward. Were they in agreement about everything? Nope. Did they have conflicts over theology and church practices and growth strategies? Yeah, read the book of Acts. But what they chose to do is to unify their uniqueness by bringing their strengths and their assets and their gifts and their resources and their talents and their perspective and their knowledge and their time and their focus to the faith community. So consider, are we bringing our best selves to UBC? Are we bringing to God through this faith community our best strengths and assets and gifts and attitude and resources and perspective and knowledge and time 
and focus? And could it be that conflict and disunity are rooted in bringing to God our half-hearted selves, our leftovers after a long week, the worst side of ourselves? How might God bring perfect unity into UBC, whether the youngest or the oldest among us, the tenured or the new, if we bring our best selves to this faith community? Okay, I promise this is the last time I'll bring up the X-Men. One thing I learned very early on as a child who read comic books was that uh, two things. First of all, with superhero teams, there's always going to be drama. Always drama. But number two, you have a constant rotation and influx of members. So take, for example, the famous Justice League. Sure, there's your Batmans and your Supermans and your Wonder Womans and your Aquaman and your Green Lantern, but also there was other people like Martian Manhunter and Hawkgirl and Shazam and Zantana. They would bring themselves into this group. So too with the X-Men. You had your Cyclops and your Wolverine and your Professor X and your Beast, but sometimes the Deadpools and the Icemans and the Bishops and the, and the Cables and the Kitty Prides of the world brought themselves to the team. Each individual mattered, but what mattered above all things was the great cause and vision of the team. What mattered was the X on their uniform and what it represented. As Professor X put it this way, This message is for one reason alone, to tell the strongest among you. Those with the greatest power protect those without. That's my message to the world. You see, as we're embracing our uniqueness and the diversity of people among us, bringing our best selves to the faith community, we must set our eyes on who it is that we follow. One of the most obvious aspects of this story from the Gospel of Luke is not only Jesus is calling unique individuals to follow him, but Jesus is inviting us to follow him. How often in the church we don't follow Jesus. How often in the church we choose to follow ourselves or whoever has the most power or the most say-so. Do we follow Christ? Jesus is the uniting focus. Jesus is the central focus of all that we say and do as a faith community. Together we focus on the life and ministry and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is the love that brings perfect unity. When we choose to follow Jesus in the way of Jesus, then love fills our lives that unifies us together. God knows that's a message the church needs to hear today. There are so many things that divide us. Race and economic status, gender and sexual identity, life experience, likes and dislikes, theological perspectives, and political persuasion. We can either choose to let our differences divide us or we can choose to let Christ unite us. This is the essential thing that brings us together, the radiant love of God seen through Christ. It doesn't change the fact that we have different perspectives and opinions and visions of how the mission of Jesus is lived out. But when we are following Jesus instead of following ourselves, we find that these differences should not entrench us, but give us a fuller understanding of how we can fulfill the work of Jesus together. It's time for the church to rediscover what really matters. 
what unites us instead of what divides us. And as we choose to follow Jesus together, just imagine the dreams that become a reality. On any given day here at University Baptist Church, we are striving to minister to the needs and hurts and joys of all people. Whether that be families who are coming to the Mother's Day Out program here, the families that come to the Family Tree Cafe, the teenagers that come here for community and spiritual formation through the youth group, the families that come and entrust us with the soccer academy, or all the many families of all ages that are part of all of these programs we have within the church. We are striving to enhance our capacity to love, to care for, to nurture people of all ages, whether they be the traditionalist generation that built the foundation of where we are today, the baby boomers, the Generation X, the millennials. We are earnestly seeking to grow this congregation because we have the resources, giftedness, and passions among us to have a bigger impact on Baton Rouge today than ever before. We are stepping boldly into a new and unfamiliar future that looks very different from the past. Yet we are fixing our eyes on Jesus as he leads us into a new way of meeting and loving our neighbor, growing in our spiritual journeys and becoming a beautiful expression of the church. We all have a part to play. We all have unique gifts and passions, and strengths, and interests, and wisdom, and experience that we bring to the faith community. Imagine the dreams that become a reality when we commit to perfect unity through Jesus. Can you and I commit to this? Can you and I bring our best, unique selves to the faith community? Can we look around us and embrace the unique diversity of our faith community? And can we boldly step forward in faith, following Jesus, to lead us to something beyond what we can see and what we can imagine? Every day, you and I carry around a bucket. It is the bucket of our lives. We have a choice to either fill up or empty our buckets, to either fill up or empty the buckets of others. Jesus is inviting us to rethink what's in our bucket. Instead of a bucket full of disunity and division and and, and indifference, Jesus is inviting us to fill our lives with perfect unity that comes out of God's bountiful love for us. As you and I carry around our buckets this week, consider how we might be filled with perfect unity As we look to the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Christ, may Christ embolden us to have a love for God. As you carry around your bucket this week, consider how you might fill the buckets of your neighbors and coworkers and strangers, people very different from you, and members of this congregation with perfect unity.